we say this word in the church a lot, and we read in Scripture, behold, right? And um, to behold something is not, it's like a, it's a fancy way of saying observe. Observe, pay attention. But the, the clarifier in the word which takes behold into a different category is when you're observing something that's incredibly impressive. That is, it's just something you, like, you have to look at this, and it's not like, um, it's not like uh, where there's a traffic accident, and you have a gawker delay, and you're like, everybody's like looking at that. It's, it's, it's different than that. It's, I can't look away because of how impressive it is. And so if you, if you were to think of somebody saying this phrase to you, Behold, they're getting your attention in a way that says you need to stop what you're doing and turn and look at this thing that is impressive. Behold. So if you think of Scripture when it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. Behold, and this amazing thing happened. Behold, and stop what you're doing and pay attention to the impressive thing that it's very easy just to walk right by. It's very easy just to ignore that, it's, that this is happening next to you. So behold, our King, nothing can compare. Behold, our King sits on the throne. Behold, this is an oppressive, impressive deity that we need to pay attention to. And... Sometimes you can grab somebody and go, look at this! Behold! Sometimes you, you give the behold experience by the way you live and how you live your life and somebody says, you're different. Why? I'm going to look at you and examine you and they're beholding your lifestyle. When we make decisions around our church family and say, we're going to live in this particular way, we are saying collectively, this is our king. You should look at us because we're doing things that are different than culture. We're living differently. Behold our king. We do a lot of things in, in, uh, in memory of. The communion table oftentimes in memory of communion. We do this in memory. And, and sometimes, uh, even on altars, it'll say, do this in remembrance of me, right? And that's taken directly from Scripture. Do this as a memory of who I am. And I, I, want, I want a lot of things to be not just a memory, but an active participation. Behold! Look what Jesus did on the cross. Let's take communion and remember Him. The word behold is, is a shocking word it should be to our soul. I need to stop and pay attention. Behold. So today's uh, Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. And um, unless we're intentional about beholding what Memorial Day is. Most people will think, or especially even kids nowadays, will think 
that it's what? The beginning of summer. This is when we get to start doing picnics and the pool opens and all these things happen. I know when I, uh, in my hometown that I grew up in, York, Nebraska, the pool opened Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend and closed Labor Day weekend. So it was pool day. Memorial Day is kind of that time where you go, you know what, it's safe to put my clubs in the golf cart. Now I can go golfing again, especially us who live in winter states. But behold, let's not do things in memory, but let's look to how impressive the men and women who sacrificed their lives to give us the freedom to say out loud, behold, look at my king. That's an important thing to do, not just in memory. And there's a parallel between us being moved by the sacrifices of men and women to give us freedom and the, and the, and the greater sacrifice that Jesus gave to give us freedom over sin and death. And we have victory and chains don't hold us down and we are not tied to this world anymore. We get to celebrate victory over death. Death no longer has sting in our lives. Hey, we're on our last Sunday, week five of the series, this teaching series, Pray, Craving Something More. And once again, I'm going to invite you, give you opportunity. Uh, we're going to leave these, these boards up. We'll transition them. We'll have them up for a week or two, and then we'll transition them to the prayer room. We'll transition all of this stuff to the prayer room so you can engage in it there. But I want to continue to invite you that during service, as things come into your mind, you're, you're freely welcomed to come and interact. Now, where have we been so far? What have we done? We've done four weeks talking about prayer. The first week was this frame. Now, I'm thinking, we're not going to mess with this. And the only reason why is because you'll knock it off and it'll fall and everybody will look at you and that'll feel weird because it's not very sturdy. So we're going to leave this alone. But, but week one, we talked about reframing prayer. To think about prayer differently. That prayer isn't just folding your hands, bowing your heads, although that is a component of prayer. That's not how I want us as a church to be thinking about prayer. So we reframed it. We put a frame around it. And, we, and really there was two places, there was three total things, but two that I really drove in. I said, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the dwelling of God in you, that you're a tabernacle, that you are connected to God the Father. When you surrender and, and receive his gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, and now he has tabernacled um, inside of you. To where you are now His. You are a new creation, and you, are, you belong to God. And because of that, because of that tabernacle, you have access to the Holy of Holies. You have access to the greater things. You have access to God the Father. So, when, so the next part of that was that prayer begins and ends with God's presence. So... Praying can be bowing your head, folding your hands, and reciting a list or focusing. We, I bowed my head and folded my hands at our prayer time this morning at 9. I closed my eyes, and I prayed through some list things. That's part of it. But I want us to want something deeper, and that, that's presence-based ministry where, where God's presence is active in you. 
and the dialogue is sustained. The next week, we put these, I put these pieces of paper up here on the, board, on the wall here, and we talked about expectations. If we're going to pray, what do you expect to happen? Why pray if you don't expect anything to happen? So I encourage you, I said, come and write your expectations. What do you expect from God? And you guys have been doing a great job interacting. There's pictures, and it's good stuff. I want to continue to invite you to do that. What do you expect God to do? What are you praying for? What do you expect to happen? If we pray, we, we want something to happen. And so craving more says, God, move. God, move. And it's, it's not this, we don't want to be fearful of saying, we're demanding something of the Lord, but because we are, we're saying, God, move on my behalf. Intercede for me. I want something to happen. And as, as kind of the landing point of that Sunday, we, I said, I want you to focus on alignment, not the outcome. So we're writing these things that we want. And I believe that as you, as you continue to push in and say, Lord, I expect something to happen. Lord, I want this to happen. What he does is he starts to shape you and align you with his will. And you get focused on him again. And that draws out the prayer in a different way. And the outcome doesn't become the focus. The alignment does. And then Mark and Chris shared on healing and fasting. And, and I still, the phrase... The phrase that Chris used with the fasting piece has stuck with me. Is that fasting is a physical response to God. That when we fast, we're physically doing something. We're responding to, to God, God's impact and presence in our life by fasting. And then last week, I, we talked about praying in the Spirit. And we brought, I brought out uh, this communion plate, bowl offering. We're calling it a bowl. And these are the requests. And we got this picture from Revelation 5 that the elders around the throne room of God. Behold the throne room of God. The elders are there holding our requests at the center of heaven. Our prayer requests. So what do you do on the last Sunday? There's a lot more we could talk about within prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. This is going to be in honor of the Father, Son, uh, explosive Saturday, Sunday, Saturday shoot-off, I'm going to give you a shotgun approach to the last message. Three things that have nothing to do with each other other than this underlined idea of prayer. So I called it parting shots to crave something more in prayer. So there is an outline, and I'm going to give you... It's not even an outline. It's just three bullet points, three lines, and you can fill in the blanks. I gave you some blanks, so maybe you can focus. But the first one is, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and this is this really, I'm telling you, is going to be blunt, blunt, and blunt, and you can go, how do they mix? Okay, I guess I'll make a casserole with that prayer message. Hot dish. Does anybody say hot dish here yet? You want me to bring hot dish? Do you know what a hot dish is? You're right. It's like tater tot casserole or potato hot dish or, I don't, I mean, spicy hot dish. I mean, we could do all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> That's called lasagna. That's not a hot dish. You missed the mark on that one. So this is a hot dish or a casserole or a shotgun approach to prayer. 1 Peter 4.7 says this. 1 Peter 4.7. This is... Peter is, if you really dig into Peter's writings and, and what, he's, what he's doing, 
He's like, the end is near. you got to pay attention. He says, he says this phrase so much. Verse 7 says this, The end of all things is at hand. And instead of therefore, you could say our word for the day, Behold. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And then look at this line. For the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So, first, first ingredient in the prayer casserole this morning, be sober-minded and self-controlled. These are two disciplines. Two disciplines that we have to have in order to maintain an effective prayer life. Sober-minded, self-controlled. It's like maintaining this clear mental practice so that we can approach things in a way that we're, where we can actually commune and talk to God. They permit us to focus on the major things of faith. When you're sober-minded, you're self-controlled, you're able to lock in. I always tell stories about myself. So here's the deal. I, I'm going to continue to do this. I've like, like three of them today. The first one is, and I've heard it a lot, and I'm proud of myself right now. I'm shrinking. I'm a shrinking human being, and I'm excited about it, and it's fun. But I am so focused right now. Like, I don't even care what my family's doing at about 8.30. I leave the house every night. They could be on fire, and I'm like, I'm going to the gym. <laughs> they, like, they could, they could be, it could be a chaos. There could be somebody intruding in our house. I'm like, I'll be back. Just hold the four down. I got to go to the gym. That's how focused I am right now. Because it, it hit me. It, I got this like picture about January that if I don't change, I'm going to die. Well, fun fact, kids, I'm sorry to ruin your day. Everybody dies. We, all, we don't get to avoid it. But there's reasons to die faster, like for good reasons, as opposed to the reason I would die faster. Like, you could, if you're serving in, in a, in, like, a, as a soldier and fighting for the things that you believe in, like this country, that's a worthy cause. And if you die prematurely, that's worthy. Dying because you love double cheeseburgers is not worthy. There's no reason to die for that reason. It's dumb. It's not a smart way to go. Okay, so I have a little bit of control over that. I have control over what I put into my mouth. I have control of what I do after I put things in my mouth or when I put them in my mouth. I have control of how I spend my time. And all of a sudden it hit me like, like the light switch just turned on in my brain for the first time in 40 years. That, wait a second, I'm in charge of me. I can control what I put in my mouth and I can control what I do with my body. And now I've become obsessive about running, obsessive about hiking, about working out, like to where it's paying off. I'm able to focus. But I was like sober-minded. I had a clear picture. I was like, whoa. And all of a sudden, the self-control thing happened to where I'm like, I'm not eating anything. Although I did have some caramel M&Ms yesterday, which are fantastic. And it was a treat. But I, I'm focused 
I'm self-controlled. I control what I put in, right? Okay, so put that into a, a spiritual context, not just my physical context. When you're self-controlled, when you're clear-minded, you can focus on the big things. You're able to take steps forward, praying, seeking the Lord. As a child of God, we do dialogue directly with the Father when we pray. So, sober-minded, clear-minded, focused, what does it do? It gives us stamina, spiritual stamina to empower our prayer life. I like how Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. He's wanting to bring into focus the importance of being connected with God. The end of all things are at hand. So please, for the sake of your prayers, focus on Him. This is where I go back to the beginning where I say, Prayer begins and ends with the presence of God. Are you communing with God? Are you spending time with the Lord? Because the end of all things are at hand. Every generation from the beginning of the first century has believed that Jesus is coming back in their generation. Who believes that now? I believe believe that now, that Jesus is coming back in my generation. I live in that reality. The end of all things are at hand for me. So my connection to God is so important. And the first resource for living out the Christian life, the first resource for living out the Christian life, living out the victory of Jesus, in this community and in our own families and our own personal walks, is our prayer life. That's the first resource. That's, that's the thing that we spend. That's, we get to spend that cash every day. That's a resource we have access to, our prayer life. So be self-controlled, sober-minded. It's especially difficult to focus on prayer when, when the world around you is hostile towards Christianity, hostile towards your faith walk. And when we're self-controlled and sober-minded, when we're so crystal clear on our purpose and our mission to be connected to God and to advance His kingdom, that w- the prayer is it's just it's a hot knife to butter through that chaos. It melts right through it. For the sake of your prayers, for the sake of your prayers, Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. All right. Ingredient number two to the prayer hot dish casserole, stew, confession. Confession opens doors. Turn with me to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Picking up at verse 13. Picking up at verse 13 of Psalm 66. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all who fear God and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I'll tell you what He's done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I cherished my iniquity, if I cherished my sin in my heart, the Lord would not have what? Listened. But truly, 
God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. Confession opens doors to your soul. It opens the door to your soul to let the Spirit of God run into you and to draw out all the stuff so that you can commune with Him. It opens the door. When you confess, when you bring your sin to the Lord, it opens you up. And who hears you? God on the throne hears you. Confession opens the doors to the ears of the Lord. He listens to you. Don't let the like pass. Hear what the psalmist says here. If I cherished my iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Many times we are afraid to confess. We're afraid to put our junk on the table. We're afraid. And we kind of just wallow in it like pigs in mud. We wallow in our sin. And we kind of drill down into guilt, into shame. And we just kind of sit there and let it saturate. And let it just kind of in, like become part of who we are. And we decide we, we're just going to have to live with it. This is just who I am. I'm just this person. And what does that do? It closes off the ears of the Lord and it closes off the door to your soul. So confession is this act, this process of purging all of that stuff that sits within you. And it's not just sin. Sometimes it's just like, I feel inadequate, Lord, and I'm purging it, I'm getting it before you. Sometimes it's like, I don't like the way I feel and I'm putting it on the, on the throne. Take care of it. I want you to have an open door so the Spirit of God can come into you and draw out the things that are in your life that need to be dealt with, the things that need to be purged, the things that need to be taken care of. Sometimes it's a relationship that you have where you're just like, I'm just going to live in this way. I'm going to slop around in it because the relationship's busted and I'm, I can't fix it. Well, why not just open up and say, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I need help. I need help. And confess your failures in it. Your failures, not the person's failures. And say, Lord, help me in this relationship. I don't know why it's like this, but it hurts. And the, the door to your soul is open and the ear of the Lord is leaning into you, listening to your requests. Confession opens doors. Why do we avoid confession? Why do we avoid it? I... It's crazy that we avoid it. I think a lot of times we're like, we're so proud. And we're so, like, we're so like, I don't want to let anybody, and I think even Hannah hit on it this morning, we come with our church face on. Now, I know we're not, we're not horrible here with that, but we come with our best foot forward. And we put our fancy clothes on and we say, I'm here, I've arrived at church. Look at me, I live the spiritual life. Well, it's just garbage. We're afraid of what other people are going to think if we admit who we are. We're afraid of what the person on our left or our right is going to think about us if they could see into our soul. Well, I'm asking you to confess that to the Lord and let the Spirit of God come into your soul and cleanse that stuff. I think we're afraid because we are scared of one another in a lot of ways. We don't have this deep, trusting relationship with one another. So we just kind of like put this idea of like leaning on somebody away and say, no, I'm... I'm scared of what you're going to think, and I don't really trust you, so I'm not going to tell you what's going on in my life or confess these hurts or, or even talk to you about how I'm horrible at being a father. I'm not going to lean on you. If we have that attitude with one another, 
we for sure have that attitude up. The horizontal relationship is a reflection of the vertical relationship. When we talk to each other the way that we talk to each other, it's how you're talking to God. You can't separate the two. You can't. I want you to confess. We start it privately, and then it becomes a corporate experience. We have sins here in this church, sins of the past. Sins of the past. Within the first few months of of the ministry that I've taken over and trying to lead us as a church family, we tripped on a lot of sins of the past, things that have happened here, things that have happened in this room. And we prayed and purged them, and we've confessed to each other. And you could tell the difference when that happened. You remember the night, we, the ones who came that one Monday night, and we gathered and we talked and we just kind of shared, and we put all the garbage on the table, and we said, Lord, this is all of our garbage that we have. Let's put it on the table, we're done. And some confessed, and some apologized, and we prayed, and we walked through the building, and we prayed, and, and you could see a transformation, I'm telling you, from an outsider looking in, you could see a change in our energy towards life together. Because we involved each other and put our junk on the table. It opened the doors to our church soul. And the Spirit of God has has begun to run wild in this place. Our worship changed. I can tell you it has. From the day I candidated till this morning, it's changed. Because we were willing to admit that there's things that we need to be, confess. Once again. Prayer begins and ends with the presence of God. Confession brings you into His presence immediately. Third ingredient to the prayer casserole, do not lose heart. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 verse 1 starts this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for which is not bread and your labor for which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here and that your what? Soul may live and I will make you with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. (laughs) Here's our word. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples and a leader of commanders for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know, and shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let Him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and hills before you shall break forth in singing, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come of the cypress, instead the briar shall come of the myrtle, and shall be the name of the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Do not lose heart. Isaiah is saying here, are you hungry? Are you thirsting? Are you longing? Come to the table. God is saying, my word will not go out void. It will accomplish what I said it's going to accomplish. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So seek me. Seek me. Call upon me. Reach out to me. Do not lose heart. So I've been challenging us to crave something more in our prayer lives, in our prayer experiences. We need to hunger and thirst for more of God in our life. Remember, prayer begins and ends with God's presence. And it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to drift. We can all go to our own stories and our own minds. And today, I, like, I had this experience. I had this experience while I was working in my office. I was getting so frustrated. And I, I felt this weird hurt and discouragement. Today's graduation day in Iowa. And there's a group of high school kids that I poured my life into. That I'm absent from graduation Sunday. Instead of celebrating or being excited for that, I was like discouraged that I wasn't there. Instead of seeing the excitement of the leading of this church, I was discouraged that I wasn't over there. Do you, is that familiar to you? Not necessarily the same story, but is there something where you're like, you're not enjoying the thing of now because you're discouraged of the thing that happened this like year ago, and you're creating this whole weird scenario, and then you begin to drift. And then I started to feel this loss of a relationship of a pastor friend that I have because we just don't contact because we don't work together anymore. And he, he was good for my soul for a long time. He like poured into me and spent time with me. And we don't communicate. And I got focused on why we don't talk. And I got discouraged this morning and frustrated this morning and sad for no reason and disappointed for no reason other than what I was creating up here. I was creating my ways and my thoughts, and my wants, and my sadness, and my, my, my. And when we live the my life, we drift. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel frustrated. It's easy to not connect. The result of hungering for God that Isaiah is speaking on here 
when he says, and, and like wanting to go into the storehouse and to spend time and to incline our ear to the Lord, the result of all that is that we'll go out with joy. We'll go out with gladness. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Was anybody singing a song as I was reading that? <laughs> Me too. While I was reading, I was going, oh my goodness. I remember back at Arbor Drive Baptist Church, that was like the highlight of our worship set. <laughs> it's the only time we clap during a song. Because <laughs> we were like, the trees of the fields will clap their hands, right? What do you do? And everybody's like, yeah, that was the greatest. <laughs> but that's what happens to our soul when we connect to God the Father in the throne room. We clap our hands. We go out with joy. The discouragement and the drifting come in alignment. The outcomes are the Father's outcomes, not our outcomes. See, that's what was happening this morning. I was thinking of my outcomes and my unfulfilled thoughts and my unfulfilled plans or ambitions that I had two or three years ago. And we can all do that. We go backwards way easier then we can go forwards. And I heard, I think it was on the Dave Ramsey podcast, that's why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Because if we continue to focus on the rearview mirror, we will get so distracted, we won't know where we're going. So the windshield has to be huge so we can focus on where we're going. And where we're going is to the throne room. 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10 says this, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's so unnatural to live that way. It doesn't match the American way. That's why Memorial Day is an impressive holiday. Because men and women go to die, which is unnatural to want to go to die, to support and, and, and give freedom to people they don't even know. It's an unnatural step forward. That's why when Jesus goes to the cross, it doesn't make any sense because nobody goes to die on purpose. That kind of sacrifice is powerful. And that, the sacrifice of Jesus, is the ultimate power because what it does is it makes our weakness His strength and it makes us strong so we don't have to live and dwell and, and flop around like pigs and who we are and slop in the mud because we are made complete in Christ. We are made complete in Christ so that we now have a new way to live. And the power source, the power source of that is our communion with Him in heaven. That's our power source. That's the resource that gives us strength and energy and life because we're connected to God the Father through our prayer, through surrendering before Him and saying, Father, I need You. 
so our weaknesses and the insults that come our way and the hardships and the persecution and the calamities, all those things we get distracted by. So do not lose heart. Because behold, he sits on the throne. And we have a direct line to him every day, every minute. And I want you and us to crave something more.